Thank you, Roger, for those prayers. And good morning, church. It is good that we can worship together. Um, wherever you might be, I pray that this time is not just watching a service, but you are part of the service. This is your worship, and we do this together. This has been quite a week, hasn't it? With announcements on COVID, of easing restrictions, of flight bans coming down, of a plan for schools to go back in person. And I know that this has been a difficult season. I mean, it's been difficult for me, and I've talked to so many of you, and it's been a challenge, and each of us is going through this together. Um, but what I would like us to do right now in the chat box is to put something in the chat box that you're hoping for in this season. And maybe it's having to do with travel, you know, to see family or friends. Maybe it is going back to school. Um, put something in there that you're hopeful for, something that you hope happens in this next month or so. I know we've had so much delayed gratification, delayed hopes. If I get my hopes up, you know, then will I be more disappointed? But it's not natural for us to keep this sort of hesitation on hope. And so as a way of connecting, go ahead and put one of your hopes um, into the chat box and as a community we can kind of see where we're at together in this as we worship virtually and socially distance we still long to be connected so go ahead and put one of your hopes in the chat box for this season and uh, let's lift those up I know for me this type of season um, is an invitation to go deeper to ask the hard questions to dig into my faith and to, re and to trust in Christ a bit more. It creates an opportunity for trust to go deeper, to slow down. And reading through John this Lent has, has been a hopeful resource for me. It's been a reminder um, that we can do this journey together, but also a reminder of who Jesus is who he is for us right now in this season. So we continue with the I Am series. This week is Jesus says, I am the gate. And we have Dexter reading um, our passage today. He'll be reading from John 10, verses 1 to 10. Let's hear the reading now. This is a reading of John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Thank you, Dexter, uh, for the reading of today's passage. Uh, let's pray. God, I pray that you help this word in your scriptures, God, go into our heart. 
may we not just understand it intellectually, God, but may we know how to walk this truth. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's unpack this passage kind of a verse at a time. We see in verse one, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. And he says that if you don't come through the gate, you come some other way, then you're a thief and a robber. He's confronting the religious leaders. And that's what he's calling them. Verse two says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, the Judean desert was not hospitable to life. It was a harsh environment. As you might imagine, deserts are harsh. And so the shepherd had an important role to keep these sheep safe, um, not only from wild animals, but people that might want to steal the sheep. And so at nighttime, they would be put into a sheep pen and it might be you know, up against a, a canyon or a culvert to try to keep them safe. So there's only one way in. There might be a low fence that's been made with rocks and there's one entryway and the shepherd might put thorn bushes or something to, to block the entryway or he would put himself in that place. Now the shepherd has a staff and I have a staff here. Um, that a shepherd might have, and he would use this to protect the sheep. It was his tool uh, to use because he was responsible for the sheep. Now, you might be thinking, okay, if a wolf attacks, um, the shepherd is in danger, right? And you've got lots of sheep. Maybe it makes sense to, to throw one of the sheep as a sacrifice to the wolf. And so the wolf will eat that and you and the other sheep would be saved. That might be a practical or even a rational thing to do. But that is not what the good shepherd does. He doesn't sacrifice us for that. He is the one who stands in harm's way because he is a good shepherd. Okay, so that's the shepherd. Verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So what do the sheep do? The sheep, they listen, right? They have to listen to their shepherd, right? Their lives depend on it. The shepherd is keeping them safe. The shepherd leads them to places of food, of water, of nourishment. They're dependent, literally, for their health and for their lives and for their flourishing on listening to the shepherd. And the shepherd protects them and provides for them. Now, Jesus is, of course, using this as an analogy for himself. And so the sheep have to know the voice of their shepherd. And we're often, you know, I'm often asked, how do I know it's God's voice? And we have taught on that before. And so I'm not going to spend too much time on that here in this sermon. But some of what might help us to discern God's voice is knowing that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And it's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. So it's congruent with who we see Christ as in Scripture. That's the voice that comes to us. It doesn't argue. It doesn't try to convince. It doesn't push away. It speaks. It's self-authenticating. It will encourage. It will comfort. It may convict. Right? Some of the things I've heard. Now, I've never heard the audible voice of God. 
um, but I have had nudges in my heart, in my spirit. I've had words in my head. And, and some of those things have been, you know, they're definitely consistent with Scripture. God has said, you are not alone. God has said, I am here with you. I love you. Sometimes when I'm ministering to other people, I might have a word for them that I believe God is nudging me to share with them. And some of those things have been, God sees you. God is with you in this time. God accepts you. God loves you. So his voice will be consistent with Scripture and it will have a tone to it that looks and feels like Christ. So we have to distinguish the voice of the shepherd from other voices, maybe voices in our own head, maybe the voice from our parents, right? Voices from authority figures, voices from teachers, and even voices from the evil one. The evil one's voice will be condemning. It will be isolating. Remember the serpent in the garden. The serpent is interacting with Eve, and the serpent wants to isolate Eve. We know Adam is there present, but, but Adam is not involved in the conversation. So the serpent isolates Eve, gets her in her own head. The serpent doesn't go, you know what, maybe we under- misunderstood God. Let's go talk to God and see what God thinks about this, right? No, the serpent says, you must have misunderstood God. God must not trust you. You're not as special to God as you thought you were. And so it's a very different voice from the voice of the shepherd, right? It says you've blown it, puts you into shame, tells you God isn't with you anymore. It leads us away from God. It leads to death. It isolates us. And those are voices, maybe from the evil one, but maybe from people in our own lives, that we can be stuck just hearing over and over again. Maybe when we've made a mistake. Maybe when we've had a conflict and it, and it didn't go well. Maybe after you know, a difficult time in the workplace, we'll play these tapes. And those aren't the tapes from the shepherd. Those are tapes from other places, and we need to be able to recognize them and to set them down. Let's carry on in the passage with verse 4. When the shepherd has brought all of these out of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So what does the shepherd do? The shepherd calls the sheep. He knows them, and they know the shepherd. He calls, and they listen. And how does the shepherd lead? He goes out in front of them, and they follow him. He's not driving them. He's not hitting them with the stick, right? He's not pushing them, right? Sometimes in the Christian life, or, and I know some pastors have thought this, that we have to beat the sheep. We have to get them ready for Jesus, somehow taking on this role that God does not call us to, and he himself does not function that way. So we see the shepherd leading and the sheep following. The passage carries on. The sheep won't follow a stranger because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. Now, as far as I know, nobody in our congregation has been a shepherd or is a shepherd. Uh, But there's this great video that I want to show to you that illustrates this very point. 
I love that video, and it illustrates the point that would have been familiar to the original audience of Jesus. They would have known this reality, and as I'm looking at those sheep, I'm like, I want to be one of those sheep that listens to the voice of the shepherd, that responds, that follows him, that's drawn into who he is. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees, those people who should have known most you know, had the most knowledge, were spending the most time studying about God, and yet did not recognize God in their midst. So we need to be thoughtful about the voices that we're hearing. We need to be aware if a voice is isolating us, that we probably should share that with others, share that with people in our life group, share that with the pastor, take away some of the power from the evil one that wants to give us lies. They've called him the father of lies, right? So share that, what you're hearing. Help get help from the community in discerning. But also, regularly spend time with the shepherd so you get to know his voice more and more. Spend time in his word, and I hope that you've been going through John on a daily basis. If not, now's a great time to start. Spend time in prayer, not just talking to God, but listening for him to respond to you. See, we listen to all sorts of voices, right? We gather here, you know, on Sunday for worship for about an hour. Um, you might be in life group. You get some more time. You might be in study and prayer. Um, but there are other voices that influence you, right? What is the media that you're consuming? What is the news that you're watching, right? What are the political opinions that you're subscribing to? Sometimes we can fill our head the whole week with these counter voices that actually begin to influence our faith more than Jesus himself does. And we get sort of this warped perspective of how we're to live out our lives and we don't spend enough time with the shepherd to hear his heart for us, I know um, for me, just turning down some of the media, some of the news in this Lenten season has been important. Now, of course, it's, it's good to be well-informed. It's good to analyze ideas. I'm not saying that, but, but look at the sources of the things that are feeding your soul in this season. Verse 6, the Pharisees, the very ones who should be getting it, uh, don't get it. Okay, And verse 7 Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. He declares that he is the gate, right? It carries on in verse 8. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. See, he confronts the Pharisees again with harsh language, right? They don't have a right to the sheep. They are harming the sheep in what they're saying to them and the burdens that they're giving the sheep. And then verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus repeats this I am statement that he is the gate. And if you enter through him, that you will be saved. Now, what does it mean to be saved? This was the narrative that I grew up with. You say the sinner's prayer. You accept Jesus into your heart so that you can go to heaven when you die. That's how I came to faith. There's only one problem. It's not biblical. <laughs> See, Jesus says he's the gate and those that come to him will be saved. But what does that even mean to be saved? 
let's step back for a moment and think about the context that Jesus was in. So his scripture, right, and the scriptures of the Pharisees, we call the Old Testament. Of course, they didn't call it then. It was just their scripture. And we know the story of Israel and God's redemption through them, that they would be his people, right? They would have relationship with God and they would live that out and change lives. They would live lives of justice and holiness and righteousness and that they were meant to be a blessing to all nations. It, it started with them that it was meant to go out to the whole world. Now, we know the story of Scripture and that Israel wandered away from God, that they were not faithful, that they were defeated and they went into exile. And then we have about a 400-year gap between them and our New Testament. But the Old Testament doesn't end with how are we going to get all of these people saved into heaven the Old Testament ends with the question, when will God send the Messiah to be the king of Israel? When will God come back as king? Was their question, was their expectation. And Jesus is showing up and saying, I'm that person. Now, he wasn't meeting their expectations. They were looking for a king that was going to overthrow Rome, right? The Pharisees did not connect with what Jesus was saying because he was changing their concept of who God was. See, Jesus gives us the glimpse of the type of king he will be. He will be a shepherd, and he is the gate. So salvation, that's what their expectations was. So we are saved from something. We're saved from death. We're saved from old creation. Paul says it this way, the old has gone and the new has come. We're saved from this old creation, this old way of being. Our primary way of relating now is not from that perspective. There's a new way to relate to God. So what does old creation look like? It looks like malice. It looks like exclusion. It looks like gossip, greed, and lust. These types of behaviors lead to death, lead us away from God, and sin becomes its own punishment. It's self-consumptive. It consumes itself. For example, with porn. Now, porn is wrong because it exploits women, right? But porn is also wrong because lust itself consumes. It demands more and more and delivers less and less it takes on a form of idolatry. We begin to sacrifice time for it. We might sacrifice relationships for it. We might sacrifice our character for it. So when God warns us against sin, he's not saying, I'm here to stop your fun. He's here to say, I'm trying to lead you to life. And sin leads to death. He's saying when you engage in those things like anger or rage, it opens you up to the dangers of the powers and the principalities, to self-destruction, harming yourself and harming others. Right now, we live in this overlap of already and not yet, right? Between old creation and new creation, this present age and the age to come, we experience still this old creation, right? We know our own bent towards selfishness, but we also get glimpses of new creation, of forgiveness, of flourishing. I think of it a bit like a teenager, right? 
they're moving out of childhood and into adulthood and sometimes they can connect with that younger version of themselves and sometimes they're on their way to maturity and they can also step into those places and so it's this overlap time and we are in that overlap time right now in God's kingdom so life in this present age life in this old creation feels normal right it says that I have to get back at that person when they do something to me. It means I can take revenge when somebody offends me. It means I can respond in anger, right, to the taxi driver that cuts me off on my bike. It says, of course, I have to stand up for myself. Old creation invites us into ways of relating that seem normal to us because it's how the world works but it isn't meant to operate that way. It isn't meant to be that way. So salvation is being saved from death and old creation. So we're saved from something, but we're also saved to something. We're saved to new life, this new life in the present and this new life in the future. See, heaven's rule, God's rule, is happening and starting now. And we get to practice it and we get to live it out right now in these moments. We're saved to this new life in God's kingdom. We get to be a part of that. Salvation is not evacuating people out of earth. It's bringing God's kingdom here and now and being people of that kingdom. And we are saved through the gate. And who is the gate? Jesus Christ. As we're in connection with Jesus, as we're in relationship with Jesus, we open ourselves up for God's work of new life in our lives. We open ourselves up to the new creation happening in our lives and in our world. And this is in contrast, as we see in verse 10. We see the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. He is telling the Pharisees that their way of following God is actually stealing and killing and destroying. It's a leading away from God. See, Augustine, St. Augustine says it this way, you are what you love, meaning you become what you love. If you love money, chances are you're going to become greedy. If you love being right, chances are you'll become self-righteous. It might even be in this COVID season. Look how well I'm following all the rules that the government has given me. And look at how badly those other people are following the rules. I'm doing this so well. It could be with our theology. If you want to be right in your theology, maybe it leads to this theological purity. You think your way of doing faith the way you believe is how everybody else should be interpreting scripture and living it out. Believe me, I have been there and I have done that myself. And this is what he's saying to the Pharisees. You think you have it right. You have memorized all the scriptures, but I'm here right in front of you and you are missing me. Because he's upending their understanding. He's rewriting the rules. Lent gives us a season to set down those things that lead to death. It gives us a season to repent to turn away from those things that are leading to death. What is one area in your life that you want God to transform 
something in your character, perhaps, a habit that you want to get rid of. For me, um, you know, a couple years ago, I, I had already shared about the taxis and the, uh, the bike riding, right? But it was dealing with anger and letting God speak to me, but also transform me. This year, um, I don't have one specific thing I'm going after, but I, I had to share this story um, of chia seeds. And uh, chia seeds are quite small. These are actually mustard seeds, but they're the, the same size uh, pretty much as a chia seed. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I mix them into my yogurt every morning. And we got a new package of chia seeds with a wrapper that doesn't quite seal and so it's hard to take them tidy. So anyway, uh, this week, as I was making my yogurt, a bunch of them went across the counter. And I finished my meal. I went to work, came home. And Erica comes home. And she says, um, do you know anything about all the chia seeds on the counter? And I say, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Now, there's only the two of us living there, right? So, <laughs> of course, I knew it was me, right? And she knew that it was me. But as we began to, to talk and kind of joke about this conversation, it also gave me a chance to reflect, like, why did I respond that way? It was kind of, you know, funny and humorous, but at the same time, what I was saying was, don't bother me, right? Don't bother me right now. You, of course, know that I spilled the chia seeds. Uh, why don't you just wipe them up? You could have wiped them up in the same time you took to ask me that question, right? And as I began to explore, you know, this moment, I thought, yeah, I was just really being self-centered, right? I was thinking about my needs, right, of, of not being bothered over her needs to have a tidiness, right? And, and my need that I should have taken responsibility for that. And so... I hope for you in this season, whether it's small kind of humorous events or, or bigger things that you're working with, that it's an opportunity to go deeper, to go deeper inside your heart, to bring those things out before God and let him speak to you. Next, and, and this really comes from Paul on salvation. Salvation says we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And this comes from 1 Corinthians 1.18 and also 15.2. There's this three parts, this three times of being saved. We have been saved as followers of Jesus, but we are being saved in the present. It's this overlap, right, of old and new creation, of working that salvation out. And we will be saved. It's a journey and it's a process. And God is at work in each of these spaces. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. See, Augustine's quote, you are what you love, works in the negative, but also in the positive. If you love Jesus, guess what? You're going to become more like Jesus. That is what full life looks like. It looks like intimacy with God intimacy with others, healthy relationships, both vertically and horizontally, a flourishing life for you, but not just for you, but every person in society, those with much and those with little. It means we all get to enjoy this new life. See, there's, there's two 
there's two locations in this verse. There's inside the sheep pen, which we've mostly been talking about. And that's a place of connection with the father, but also connection with the other sheep, right? There's a safety there. But then there's also outside the sheep pen. And Jesus leads us out into the world as well, because we have to live in this world. And we can experience abundant life in both places. We're meant to be in both places. As a community, we need one another. But we also need to be out in the world. Sources of light pointing to the light. Helping people to connect, to grow. See, Jesus welcomes us in, but he also sends us out. So life to the full is doing good works in this world, right? Whether it's with our ministry partners, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in your school environment, it's helping to bring who God is in that full life into all of these places. Jesus says, I am the gate. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the gate. God, and I pray right now, maybe for those who... Um, are still thinking about, are you trustworthy? Are you somebody I can follow? Are you the gate to that abundant life? And I pray if that's you right now, that, that this might be an opportunity for you to take steps towards Jesus, that it would be an opportunity to begin trusting in him, to begin walking with him in relationship. And Jesus welcomes you. And if that's you right now and you wanna take those steps, um, I pray that you share that with somebody, that you share that with somebody in your life group, you share it with the pastor. And so, God, we thank you that you are the shepherd. You are one who welcomes us in and sends us out. God, I thank you that you are faithful and you are trustworthy, that you are the Prince of Peace. Jesus, we know that peace is not found in the absence of problems, but peace is found in your presence. So I pray for your presence to be filling us now in your name. Amen.